Isaiah chapter 24 is where we're starting today. Now, if you were not here last week, then you missed us covering chapters 10 through 23. So you've got a lot of catching up to do. Actually, that's not true. We just covered chapters 10 through 14, and on purpose we're skipping uh, 15 through 23, because these have to do with very specific pronouncements against groups of people and woes to this or that, and uh, in the interest of, of focus and priorities, uh, we've, we've kind of parked those off to the side, uh, and um, we'll jump in uh, with, ver- with uh, chapter 24 today. Now, one interesting thing is there is continuity, so to speak, um, from where we left off. And it's worth flipping back to chapter 13 just to get a little bit of a, uh, of a flavor. And I think it's worth looking again at, say, verses 9 and following. It says, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation, and he will exterminate its sinners from it. And the stars of the heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises and the moon will not shed its light. Thus I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will also put an end to the arrogance of the proud and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. Beginning in chapter 24, we pick up this same theme of judgment and how God is going to manage things. And by way of outline, uh, some of you in your Bibles, it may show from chapters 24 through chapters 27, what they call Isaiah's Apocalypse. Uh, So these four chapters specifically have to do with Isaiah's view of the latter days, of of, Isaiah. Uh, the day of the Lord, as it's sometimes called. Uh, What's going to happen down the road? We've talked about that prophecy can have uh, a couple of things in view, right? Uh, There may be near prophecies, there may be far-off prophecies, uh, there may be uh, way far-off prophecies all in the same point of view. Just like if you were uh, maybe looking at a landscape, you see the things in the front, you see the things in the background, and and even further, and that's kind of how we're going here. So we're going to pick up in verse 24, which is kind of a summary of the previous 10 or so chapters of what God's going to do. So here we go. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Behold, the Lord lays the earth waste, devastates it, distorts its surface, and scatters its inhabitants. This clearly sets the tone for what's going to follow. So I want to call out a couple of things. It says, Behold, the Lord lays the earth waste. Many times, we're not going to read every verse in this whole chapter, but many times you will see reference to the earth, the earth, the earth. So it's pretty clear This is talking about the whole earth, right? 
so this is a judgment that's going to be uh, rather comprehensive or totally comprehensive, which I guess is redundant, but you get the idea. This, this is going to be a worldwide judgment. When was the last time there was a worldwide judgment? The flood. This is going to be the next time there's a worldwide judgment. It won't be with water, we know that. But in other ways, it says, the Lord lays the earth waste. It says, devastates it, distorts its surface, which I thought, I didn't catch this until just this very minute, but flip back to Genesis 1. I find that if I'm, my neurons are firing today. Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was on the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving on the surface of the waters. God did this work from that point forward. So I think this is interesting. It says this phrasing, God devastates it and distorts its surface. I think that's kind of a strange strange wording there. I, I may have to go back and look at that again. So, verse 1. Comprehensive, involves everything, everybody, and it's going to be devastating to the status quo. If we look, you could maybe break the, the next section uh, from, say, verses 2 down to maybe roughly verse 12 or so. Very specific things that happen. Uh, upside down things are happening. Verse 2, and the people will be like the priest. The servant will, like his master. The maid like her mistress. The buyer like the seller. The lender like the borrower. The creditor like the de debtor. Everything's upside down. All those distinctions are going away. Verse 4, the earth mourns and withers. The world fades and withers. The exalted of the people of the earth fade away. All those class distinctions, the things that we usually think that elevate people, money, power, all those things, that's all going away. And then look at verse 6. And again, I think you, you have to have the echo of Genesis 3 in your mind. It says, therefore a curse devours the earth and those who live in it are held guilty. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are burned and few men are left. A curse over the whole earth. Um, curses uh, in, in the Bible are often connected to uh, the breaking of a covenant. And as the commentators take this further and say, well, which covenant are they talking about? And the one they tend to settle on is the covenant with Noah, the Noahic covenant that talks about um, uh, avoiding bloodshed, among other things. So this is a, a, a worldwide uh, curse. And it also calls to mind Paul's discussion in Romans. And here we have if you flip over to Romans chapter 1, verse 18, and 
I think you, you probably have started to notice that as we go through our studies months after months, there are certain passages that we tend to flip back to because they, they carry forth big themes. Verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. There's a lot of parallels, even in that verse, right? Wrath of God from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Verse 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. We are cursed because of the mistakes that we've been made, that we have made, that are in violation to how God made us, to how He ordered the world. Uh, he created this and and expects us to live in accordance with that. Let's go on down to verse. Uh, I guess we'll pick up in verse thirteen. It says, For thus it will be in the midst of the earth among the peoples, as the shaking of an olive tree and the gleanings when the grape harvest is over. So what are the gleanings? What are the gleanings? What's left over? Where do we hear about gleanings? In Ruth, right? Now there was, there was purposefully some left over for the people to come and and this was kind of like <clears throat> the social um, safety net of the day which is very wise of course because it it's there but you got to work for it good principle there so in verse 13 we're here about some folks after you've shaken the olive tree the easy stuff falls there's still some olives left on the tree. After you've gone through the vineyard and the grape harvest is over, there's still some gleanings there. There's still some leftovers there. So this is a reference to that remnant of people who are connected to God. Of course, we know how that connection happens through Jesus. This is the reference. We've, we've talked several times about this the small group of people that God has preserved uh, for his, his grace and compassion toward them, and, and they, are, they are his people. So here we have this remnant. And look at what they do in verse 14. The scene shifts. They raise their voices. They shout for joy. They cry out from the west concerning the majesty of the Lord. They glorify the Lord in the east, the name of the Lord and the God of Israel in the coastlands of the sea. Here's this, you know, Isaiah in his vision, he sees all that's going to happen, all this destruction, but he can see, you know, there's still a few. There's still a few that are in God's hand. Then back in to the scene in verses 16 and following about the judgment that's going to come. Verse 19, you pick up this theme. The earth is broken asunder. The earth is split through. The earth is shaken violently. The earth reels to and fro like a drunkard. 
on and on. And look at verse 22, or I guess verse 21. So it will happen in that day. There's that phrase that we've been hearing as we go along, in that day, future times, that the Lord will punish the host of heaven on high and the kings of the earth on earth, and they will be gathered together like prisoners in the dungeon and will be confined in prison. After many days they will be punished. Then the moon will be abashed and the sun ashamed, for the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and his glory will be before his elders. So this, uh, several things to, to comment here. First of all, remember, uh, let's see, I've got the reference, yeah. In Ephesians six, twelve, Paul says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So this host of heaven that are going to get punished are probably some of these spiritual beings, the fallen angels uh, gathered together. We know that they will be confined during the days of the millennium. If you think back to our timeline, punishment will happen. And then this moon and sun and all that, you know, the mythology of the, of the day was that, that the, hev- the moon and the stars and all those things were almost seen as gods. And the fact that there is a God that can be over them was just an amazing thought that there could be anything beyond that. Verse, I'm sorry, chapter 25. We're going to move straight into this. As we hear about all this judgment, again, there's this little break. And for a few verses... We hear another song of praise by the remnant, by the people that are preserved through all of this. O Lord, thou art my God, I will exalt thee, I will give thanks to thy name, for thou hast worked wonders, plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. For thou hast made a city into a heap, a fortified city into a ruin, a palace of strangers is a city no more, it will never be rebuilt In other words, you have brought down all of the bad things that man has done in the world. Verse 3, Therefore a strong people will glorify thee. Cities of ruthless nations will revere thee. For thou hast been a defense for the helpless, a defense for the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a rainstorm against a wall. Like heat and drought, thou dost subdue the uproar of aliens. Like heat by the shadow of a cloud, the song of the silence is, the song of the ruthless is silenced. Just a song of praise for, you know, you are there for us. You, you know, they're looking at what God has done. Of course, we're in the future, but they're looking back and say, you were there for us. You spared us. You preserved us. Praise be to God for all of these things. And now we get back in verse 6 to 
a little more prophecy. And the Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain, a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow and refined aged wine. And on this mountain, he will swallow up the covering which is over all peoples, even the veil which is stretched over all nations. He will swallow up death for all time. For the Lord God will wipe away tears I'm sorry, will wipe tears away from all faces and he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. Uh, look at what God's going to do. There's going to be a big banquet. And back in the day, the kings would, would have a big banquet, sometimes to celebrate a victory, which would certainly apply. Sometimes they would hold a big banquet to make an announcement, right? Going to make an announcement. I guess eating bone marrow is a delicacy back in the day. I'm not, I'm not there yet on the bone marrow. Uh, I like ribs. That's the closest I think I get to the bone marrow. In any event, uh, it's going to be a feast, and I'm assuming we're going to like it. Look at this, this veil, this shroud, I think as the NIV says, that covers all the nations. And it goes right into verse 8. So it's, some people have kind of put it together and said there's this, this shroud of death that we're all enfolded in, that we're all covered up with. And it says in verse 8, he will swallow up death for all time. Wow. What is it that what is it that all of us face? All of us will face ultimately one person at a time, right? Um, we don't kind of hold hands and partner with people. Um, it's it's death and, and it says he's gonna swallow up death for all time gone. It says, and the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces. Now some people see in that phrase, all faces, uh, not a reference to um, some sort of universal salvation where everyone is saved. Of course, that's not what the remnant is all about. But we can see that these are all faces uh, not just Israel, that this would include us uh, or, or people like us that, that aren't from that Abraham genetic tree at least. And what do we say in verse 9? And it will be said in that day, behold, this is our God for whom we have waited that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. One commentator says about this passage, it says, If the feast of the Lord is to be enjoyed, there must be a removal of those things which prevent men from enjoying it. The darkness, both of ignorance and sorrow, which now covers the earth, must first be removed. 
And then another says, this removal of death and wiping away of tears will take place at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ when death, Satan, and hell will be thrown into the lake of fire and the new heavens and the new earth will be established. It says, since God's future kingdom includes both the Messiah's millennial reign and the eternal state, Isaiah telescoped them together. So this is this point I was... I was making that that you have you have pictures of the millennium and then also pictures of the end of days or the beginning of days as you might think of it um, uh, after the millennium all all in view at the same time and then we finish up chapter 10 I'm, I'm sorry um, chapter 25 in verse 10 with another word about Moab now Moab was mentioned a lot in those other chapters that we skipped but it is a, a kind of a, a type and example of uh, of evil a, a representation of of the bad stuff that's happening and here we have the prophet you know we've, we've seen this so often this flipping back and forth between here's a judgment that's going to happen oh here's God and what he's going to do for the remnant and then snaps back there's still there's still stuff that's got to happen there's still justice that's got to be done and that's what happens here verse 10 for the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain and Moab will be trodden down in his place I guess I want to cover these verses because this this picture about how how ultimate the victory is can be seen as just what a horrible defeat is. This is a word picture that's coming. It says, uh, and Moab will be trodden down in his place as straw is trodden down in the water of a manure pile. And he will spread out his hands in the middle of it as a swimmer spreads out his hands to swim. So growing up, we had hogs. Uh, that we shared with my uh, cousin who I guess he really had the hogs but we shared the hogs and I got to share in feeding these hogs and uh, how many people have experience with like hogs wow that's a lot right <laughs> so somebody tell me what the typical hog situation looks like All right, what, Pat? I, I, they just roll around in their sloppy, muddy pens. <laughs> All right, anybody else? Make a lot of noise, grunting. Make a lot of noise, grunting. And, you know, they're, they're not exactly conscientious, right? I mean, <laughs> they're pretty much universal in where they decide to lay or roll or eliminate, shall we say. And then, you know, it rains, right? And it's just not good. <laughs> Right, and look at this. The enemy is swimming in this, literally swimming. It says, "And Moab will be trodden down in his place as straw is trodden down in the water of a manure pile, and he will spread out his hands in the middle of it as a swimmer spreads out his hands to swim." Wow, that's low. That is utter devastation. I know, right? Um. And I, 
apologize to any one of you with OCD tendencies that feel like you need to go take a bath right now. Um, you're, you may be excused if, if that's you. Uh, wow, utter devastation. And then, you know, the fort fortifications he will bring down, verse 12, he'll lay low and cast to the ground, even into the dust. So, we have chapter 24 that talks to us about um, uh, judgment to come that's going to be comprehensive, that's going to be um, uh, total. It's going to be based on what the people have done, right? This is not just a throw of the dice. This is based on people not following the law. This is based on people breaking the covenant. This is based on people not living in accordance with the Creator as living like the Creator said. You know, we have this, this law in our hearts, the Bible refers to. We have a conscience. Uh, almost every society in the world has rules against lying and stealing. But yet, it's not like that's in our nature to not lie and steal. It's in our nature to lie and steal. You would think it would be the other way. That it would just be a rule that it's okay to lie and steal. Right? But it's not. And the reason it's not is because it's not right. God wrote that on our hearts. Uh, I think the only place you can lie and steal is if you're like on Survivor. And if you're a contestant on Survivor, then you can do whatever you want. You may not get the votes at the end, but you can still do whatever you want. So we have verse 24, all about this. And then we hear um, in verse 25 this song of praise. Throughout this whole thing, we hear about the remnant. We hear about God's going to make it all right at the end. So we're going to pick up the next part of this in chapters 26 and 27. And if, I've, if I botched it so far, I'll try to, you know, do better next time, but we still need to visit our questions, at least the ones that I try to use to keep myself on track. What do we learn about man in these chapters? What do we learn about man in these chapters? And he grovels. Man can grovel? <laughs> okay. Man is weak. Weak. Man can be weak. What else? Pretty insignificant when you come right down to it. So there's a big difference between man and God, right? There's a certain insignificance in God's plan, right? What else do we learn about man? Pretty predictable. We keep making the same mistakes. They just don't believe horns will hook. <laughs> what? They just don't believe horns will hook. I know you've heard that saying. Before. I've never heard that saying. Are they don't believe saying? horns will hook. <laughs> that means they just don't believe them cows and the bulls are going to come up there and hook you. They just go walk right on out there. I see. <laughs> All right. I'm looking that one up when I get home. So we learned that that man can be held accountable, right? I think the things that you guys mentioned 
definitely apply to, to men in general, and it sounds like you're really having in focus um, the group that's, re on, that's receiving the judgment, right? What can we say about the people in the remnant? What do we learn about those folks? Be much better off, right? Much better off. You want say that again? They have faith. They were looking for this, right? They have learned enough about God to trust that that they are going to be preserved. It says, "Let us rejoice and be glad in His salvation." It says, "Behold." This is verse 9 of 25. This is our God for whom we have waited that he might save us. They had put their faith in God. They were hoping, right? All right, so what do we learn about God in this passage? God is just. He is able no matter what. He is able. No matter what. He is powerful over people, over events, over history, over moon and stars, over earth. What else about God? He's in control. God is in control. I didn't go in detail through these other chapters, but... Uh, some commentators said that these preceding chapters from 13, 14 up through 23, that you kind of get the flavor as if these, these people groups um, almost had the idea that they were in charge. A little bit of arrogance, that they were calling the shots. Clearly that's not the case. What else about God? He knew the end from the beginning. Yeah, if you think that Isaiah could have a couple of points in time in view at the same time, how much more so God? So even now, God knows how things are going to turn out. And I think that's something that really hit me that kind of relates to this is that, you know, there's nothing really that would mandate that God tell us how this is all going to come out. Right? How gracious is it that he reveals this to us? And what do you do if somebody's facing something that seems a little scary? If someone could kind of tell you, maybe someone who's been through it before, all right, let me just talk you through. Here's what's going to happen. Right? Here's what's going to happen. They prepare you. They tell you how it's going to turn out. And then what does that do? That you're like, okay. I, I, okay, I feel better now. How gracious is it that God loves us so much that he can literally open up a time machine and tell us how this is going to turn out. Didn't have to do that. But that's just one of the ways that he loves us. All right, we better quit. Final comments? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you do love us so much to tell us how this is all going to turn out. 
that we can claim to be part of that remnant because of our connection in Jesus, our true vine. Father, we thank you that Isaiah wrote and commentators have helped us understand and the Holy Spirit applies it to our hearts, all those things to make your word come alive to us and for us. And be with us in this coming week as we continue to look forward to the days ahead. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.